Welcome to the Park Road Talkback Podcast for August 21st, 2020. Today's podcast is a conversation with Russ Dean, co-pastor at Park Road Baptist Church with Amy Jacks Dean. I'm Bruce Holliday, Director of Communications at Park Road, and today we will be having a conversation about Russ's recent sermon, The Remedy for Bad Religion. A quick reminder, if you've not heard the sermon yet, you can find it at the Park Road website, parkroadbaptist.org, under the Resources tab. Welcome, Russ. Glad to have you with us today. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. Glad to do this again. So, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the sermon? And um, this is one that you've uh, that you had preached before, and you brought it back. And I was wondering why this particular sermon, and why now? Yeah, I preached this in uh, no, uh, November of 2015. It's called "The Remedy for Bad Religion," um, and I think this has been sort of one of my soapboxes in the last decade. Um, and I think as um, as the nation becomes more secular, um, I feel kind of the pressure of uh, of church, and um, I think the pressure to uh, present a positive defense for church, um, and and I feel that in a positive way, it's up to us to tell people why they ought to be a part of Park Road Baptist Church. Um, in a negative way, I feel, um, and I probably feel this more than some pastors, I'm not sure why I am have been sort of attuned to the agnostic or atheist voice, but I've preached a couple sermons on atheism, I've read some, and uh, there, there is a, a kind of angry, ugly um reaction against church. Um, and I guess I kind of take that personally. I, I shouldn't take that personally, but um, um, uh, I, I hear kind of more and more, and again, I've, I've just become attuned to this, uh, the very negative um, critique of church from that aspect of our culture. Um, and so uh, I, I, I guess kind of defensively, I am responding against that kind of atheist voice that says church is silly and for all you, you know, shallow-minded nimwits, um, that kind of thing. And on, on, a, on a more positive aspect, I feel like um, I'm glad to make the defense for church as community and for a church like Park Road and what we offer and why a secular culture still needs good churches like Park Road. Right. right. And you, in the first part of your sermon, you, you kind of laid out um, the arguments against religion almost in terms of things that have happened or um, instances that where people can point to religion, whether it's Christianity or another faith, and say, there, that's an example of bad religion, and that's why I don't want to be associated with it. Um, you quoted Diane Butler-Bass as saying that the first decade of the century was horrible for religion, and then I think you referenced the the next 10 years as not being a whole lot better. Yeah. Can you kind of lay out for us the kinds of things that people are looking at and maybe 
turning their nose up a little bit when they think about religion because of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my, my first line is religion is in the air. Can you feel it? Um, and even though the culture is, um, you know, it, it, it's clear our culture is becoming more secular. Um, we are still a very religious culture um, and religion is in the air and it's in the air in this political season because the Republican Party and evangelical Christianity have become such a uh, such a wed block, you know, t- together. Um, I have always felt like that has been dangerous uh, for any political party to co-opt uh, uh, Christianity. I've been critical of that for for 20 years. Um, and I gave an example of that. And it's, you know, the the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, one of the largest Baptist churches in the world and one of the largest evangelical churches um, defending the president um, with his affair with the porn star. And, you know, Robert Jeffress said, if you know, whether the president had an affair with the porn star is completely irrelevant to evangelical support of, of him. And I, I just I, I'll, I'll never get over that. I will never get over that for all of my um adult life, all of my life that I've been aware of politics and listening, you know, the religious right has railed against personal immorality in in politics. And for one of the loudest, most vocal, and now most visible um, examples of, 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 of a evangelical leader, for him to come out and to completely brush over um, something that um, immoral, you know, uh, uh, it's just, it's just striking. And, um, and and I said, I think that if you think that doesn't impact Park Road Baptist Church, you just Mm -hmm. don't know because most people, you know, we're Park Road Baptist Church and Robert Jeffress is the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas. Well, so they're the same thing. And so Russ and Amy believe the same thing. And, you know, there is this association. Um, and that's Diana Butler Bass's, point in her book, Christianity After Religion. She calls the first decade of the 21st century the, the worst decade for in the history of the church for the, for the church. And she gives 10 examples, one of which was 9-11. And, and of course, we're not Muslim and we're not extremist and, you know, um, and, and we're in America and not in, you know, the Middle East. Um, and she says it doesn't matter. Religion got a black eye with 9-11. Um, it's it's all associated. And she says that the the uh, scandal with Catholic priests uh, um, abusing children. Um, well, Amy and I are, you know, we're not Roman Catholic. We don't wear Catholic vestments, blah, blah, blah. You know, Donna Butler Bass says it doesn't matter. The clergy took a hit with that. And, and now all clergy become suspect. And so all of these examples of religion. And when I preached the sermon in, in uh, 2015, there had been a suicide attack by some Islamic terrorists in Paris. 130 people were killed. Um, and I said, you know, it's just one more time. All of us will take a hit for, you know, for bad religion because there is this association. Um, and, and people um, people just don't make the distinctions, um, and, and they, they connect all religion with us and us with all religion. Um, so I, I, that's how I started, by, by giving some examples, right. um, those two examples specifically, of, of what I call bad religion in the air, and it makes the press, and, you know, we all, 
we all get beaten up by it. At one point, you uh, you said that respect for the church is a relic of the past, and that perhaps bad religion has "quote unquote" won. Um, is, is that where you come down ultimately, or is that just in the moment, or, or what are your feelings about that? Um, I, I was recalling uh, that I, I go to Chick Fil A most mornings when when we're not in pandemic. Um, I started this years ago, dropping my boys off for school, and the Chick Fil A was just down the street. So I started going in there, and I became a uh, one of their routine customers. And um, I had known one of the uh, clerks in there from a, a, actually a race seminar, and so Kenny and I had been acquaintances, and so he knew that I was a pastor, and he would just call me pastor. And so I have become known as pastor to, you know, all of those uh, folks that work at Chick-fil-A. Most of them don't know my name. They don't know where I'm a pastor. They just know Kenny started calling me the pastor. Um, And I was saying that um, for Kenny, for the African-American church, there is still a sense of um, respect um, that uh, that I think has been largely lost in our culture. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing, um, but there is, um, it, it, it used to be that more people had a sense of respect for the church um, and a sense of respect for clergy. And that has, I think, mostly gone away. The, the newspaper doesn't pick up the phone and call local pastors like they used to, to say, tell us what's happening and how do you respond to this event? You know, there was just more of uh, a sense of affirmation and respect for clergy um, than, than there is now. And so I don't mean that bad religion is won, the game is over, but another example of bad religion winning out, I think. Um, you know, I am, I'm ultimately an optimist. And, you know, the, the point of this sermon is that religion is not going away, period. It's, it's not, I don't believe religion is ever going away. Um, and so it will always be with us. And um, I believe in the church. Um, I always have, and I believe that the church will always offer um, a, a a voice um, uh, of of care and concern, a, a voice of challenge to the to to the culture, and I I think that's a good thing. So my statement, the church, uh, bad religion has won, was was not to be um, was not an absolute. Um, right. So I mean, you paint kind of a, 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 a dismal picture for religion in the first part of the sermon. And you say, but then religion is not going away, not today, not tomorrow, not ever. What gives you the faith that, that religion is permanent, that all these obstacles, all these challenges um, can be overcome and, and somehow it can continue at a time when, as you mentioned yourself, the category of nuns, people who do not associate with any sort of faith, is the fastest growing demographic when you look at church attendance. Yeah. Um, I, I went to a statement by Houston Smith, who is one of the leaders, uh, um, the acknowledged scholars of comparative religion. Smith was born to 
parents who were Christian missionaries in China. He grew up in that world. Um, his academic uh, life led him away from Christianity. He explored lots of other religions and was out of the church and then has come back to the church um, and has been a proponent of church, though also a scholar of world religions and uh, and and one who appreciates all of the different traditions. Um, and one thing that Smith says in one of his books is that um, the beginning of the religious experience is the experience of all, just the experience uh, of, of feeling something bigger than us, beyond us, that experience of all. And I gave several um, uh, examples, you know, a symphony or a, a beautiful uh, nature um, scene, um, hearing a baby's cry, all of those, all of those things, um, the, the highs and the lows in life, when they catch us off guard and we just go, wow, uh, that is all. And Smith says that's the beginning of the religious experience. And people have that experience. It is the transcendent, he says. It is what I call God. It is um, that, that experience of mystery among us, the experience of awe, is the beginning of religion. And then people try to tell that. They want to say, hey, I had this experience. I've got to tell you about it. What is this? Um, why did this happen? You know. Um, and as people start trying to put words to that experience of awe, then religion develops and stories of religion develop. And you know, we get doctrines of religion that develop. And all of those um words that come to religion and rituals and liturgies and litanies, all of that comes around trying to give words and put into some kind of concrete form an experience that Houston Smith says is universal, the experience of all. Um, right. But, but you also say that people can get stuck on those words. You mentioned that's kind of develop around different religions and that people sometimes take what should be symbolic as too literal and then a lot of um, problems yeah, kind of and generate from there. Exactly. And this sermon really came from a, from a strange place. It came from a text from Daniel, which was written during the Babylonian exile in the 6th century before Christ. Um, and it, it's, it's an example of apocalyptic literature. We find that in the book of Ezekiel. We find that the whole book of Revelation um, is apocalyptic. And it's, uh, it's been identified by biblical scholars as a particular genre of writing. Um, it uses all sorts of weird um, uh, symbolism and usually beast and all kinds of apocalyptic kinds of things happening. Um, and the scholars say that um, those words are like our political cartoons. You read a political cartoon and there's a bear in it and you know, well, that's referring to the a, a bear market or if there's a bull in it, you know, that's referring to the stock market. We understand those symbols. And in a day of persecution, people would have understood the symbols that Daniel was pointing to or that John was pointing to in the book of Revelation. Um, and if, if we can get beyond the literal words and understand what the writer was 
in what context he was writing and what these symbols mean, then those words can point us back to the experience um, th that gave rise to the words. Um, and so it, this sermon comes um, out of the Daniel text was one of the lectionary passages, and it's just a weird text. It's one of those apocalyptic texts. And like, what sense do you make of this? And I was trying to say there are different ways to read this. And if you don't learn to read the symbolism in this, you end up trying to parse out, well, who's this beast? And, you know, we need to act like um, uh like these people acted in in these stories, you know, and there's a lot of killing and a lot of blood and a lot of gore and um, extremist religion. And the the beginning illustration that I gave with the 130 people killed by a suicide bomber, um, an extremist Muslim, that event comes out of Muslims reading their scripture in, in ways that are inappropriate. And Muslim scholars will tell you this, that Muslims who uh, kill people are not acting in the true spirit of Islam. The word means peace. Islam means peace. Um, and so no one can go into a crowded market and kill 130 people and, and kill themselves and be true to Islam. But how they get there is by by misreading the words, and Christians have misread the words of Daniel um, and led to all sorts of crazy apocalyptic predictions, and um, right. it, it can lead us to it can lead us to bad religion if we don't if we don't read carefully. So, so why do you think that is? Why do we try to read the Bible literally? You mentioned poetry, and poetry is a very symbolic way of communicating with one another. And why is it that we don't read the Bible as symbolic or as poetry and, and we try to make it literal? What is it about us that wants to do that? Or are we just misled by some people who are misusing the Bible for other purposes? Well, I think we are misled by a lot of people, but I mean, I think people, two, I, I'd say two things. One is that people want answers. Um, you know, people want to know why this happened. And, you know, for some reason, somebody that can give them an answer and say, well, God did this. Um, well, that appeals to a lot of people. I, I don't quite understand that, but, but people cling to easy truths and easy answers and tell me why this happened and tell me why I got cancer and tell me why my mama died. And well, if some, you know, pastor can say, well, the Bible says this. And, you know, if there's an easy answer that can be put on it, people seem to like that, you know, um, give, give me some easy way to understand this. Um, and so I think, I, I think people cling to answers. And the other thing I say is that, um, and this is another one of my kind of mantras lately is that this stuff is hard. Um, if you really want to understand the Bible, you've got to understand um, mm -hmm. myth and metaphor and analogy and symbolism. And, you know, people wrote the Bible just like good writers write today. And there's all sorts of allusions and all sorts of symbolism and all sorts of layers of truth that are working. Um, 
And most people just don't want to work hard enough to read the Bible and understand. Um, and if you want to read this text from the book of Daniel, if you want to understand Daniel, you need a course in apocalyptic literature and how to understand <laughs> that. You need to go back and read the history right. of Israel and understand the Babylonian exile and understand something about Babylonian you know, religion and mythology and what all was going on. And then you can kind of piece it all together. So it's it's hard um, and it's just easier to pick up the Bible and just read it at face value. Um, and I just think we almost never get um, the truth of, of what the Bible is saying if we read it that way. Right. You say the the remedy for bad religion ultimately is good religion. And the good religion, it sounded to me as if you were saying that comes out of the work, as you mentioned, that people put in, the thoughtfulness that they put into their religion, that they they don't come looking for simple answers. They they look deeply and they try to sort through what they're reading in the Bible or hearing in the sanctuary and and apply it in a positive way to the world. But that perhaps we're, those people are are too apt to be leaving the church these days. Um, what are your feelings about yeah, that? I, um, th- this this sermon. Um, I was kind of preaching to the choir. You know, I, 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 the people right. that need to hear this sermon weren't there that Sunday because <laughs> um, the, the people that are in church, well, they believe in church, you know. But this really was an appeal to those who have left the church, who are outside of the church, or maybe maybe people in our congregation who are are having some doubts and tempted to leave. And, and, and it's an unabashed... Uh, appeal of mine that I'm happy to make anywhere, anytime. We need good people in the church um, because I don't think the church is going away. And I say, if all the good people, if all the smart people, if all the thoughtful people, if all the people who are willing to read the Bible in depth and and understand symbolism and all that, if all of those people leave the church, well, the church isn't going to shrivel up and die. We're just going to leave it to people who read, in in my view, wrongly. Um, and, and we're going to end up leaving the church to the extremist. Um, and so bad religion will win. We, we need people to stay in the church and stay involved. Um, and I feel like our church, um, we're not the ultimate we're, we're not the be-all, end-all of church, but I, I, I love um, Park Road Baptist Church. And, you know, we have a lot of people who have a lot of doubts and a lot of questions about religion and a lot of um, who, who have left behind a lot of the things they were taught as children. Um, and yet church and community and working for the good um, and uh being being church is still important for them. And I think that comes out in in really good ways and examples of, of church being what it ought to be for people, of church being there when people are in need, of church being active in the community. Um, and so Park Road Baptist Church is not the be-all, end-all for church, but I think we are an example of good religion. And, uh, and so this was just my, uh, one pastor's appeal um, for people, don't walk away. You know, the only cure for bad mm-hmm. religion is good religion. 
Right. So you say Park Road represents good religion. Can you? What are tangible ways that a church like Park Road represents good religion? You know, you've mentioned be there for one another, be there for the church. But what are what are kind of manifestly tangible ways that a church represents good religion? Well, the first thing I would say, Bruce, is that. Um, my, my dad was a Southern Baptist pastor for 50 years. I grew up in the church. Mm-hmm. I've been to church almost every Sunday of my life. I'm a product of it. Um, somehow, strangely, I have felt like my calling, um, and I've said this many times, is for people who have left the church because of the church. Um, right. And I've had this strange kind of attention to the agnostic, the skeptic, the atheist. I, I don't know why I've been drawn to that, having been raised so solidly in the church. Um, but the the first thing that I would say, as Park Road, as an example of good religion, is we are a place where people can still feel welcomed in church. And a lot of our folks, not all of them, but a lot of our folks have come to Park Road, have found Park Road because they were walking out or they had already walked out. They thought there was no way to have their questions, their concerns, their doubts, their skepticisms um, and and have church. And yet there's something about church and worship and singing the songs of the faith and being a part of a community that, you know, prays together and does those things. And, and we have a lot of folks who want that, who need that, who appreciate that experience, but because their, their experience with church has been in, um, mostly it's been exclusive it's been judgmental. Um, it, it, it's been bigoted, um, and they have they have walked out. And so, I think the first thing that I say is that we are a church where people can still be church together, can still come and have an experience of worship, um, of reverence, um, the weekly rhythm of of doing church, um, and and so I think church itself is, um, uh, no, we need to be out there on the streets. We need to be working. We need to be helping the poor and the homeless and all of that. But church itself is part of our mission, giving people a chance to experience mm-hmm. um, worship together. And so, and, and community together, taking care of one another, being part of a small group, a Sunday school class, all of those things. Um, so I, I, that's the first thing I say. And then the other thing is that we do need to be involved um, in the community. And um, Park Road has um, uh, put a lot of our effort in, um, in schools. Uh, we work with... Uh, a Title I school, a lot of poor kids. Um, so we've spent a lot of our time with that. We have several programs for the homeless. Um, and so trying to find ways to work in what we would call social justice, trying to bring uh, up the poor and, and the downtrodden. Um, so those means of being out there in the community and speaking out in these days, with all the protest over race, Amy and I uh, ha- have tried to be attentive. Um, we've had conversations um, with with small groups. We're trying to do some study. We're trying to ask what we can do as a church to help change the the racism that is still part of our culture. Um, 
So those are some examples of what we are mm-hmm. trying to do to be good religion in our community. All right. Well, we'll finish up with one last question. Look into your crystal ball and think about religion in the next 10 or 20 years. You know, we've looked back at the last 20 during this conversation. Where are we headed in your in your opinion over the next couple of decades? Is it is it a positive direction or how do you feel about that? Yeah, I I love that question. Um the first hint that I had about all of this, um, Bruce, was a sermon by a former pastor of ours. He's he's still in Charlotte, Bruce, uh, um, um, Stephen Shoemaker. Um, and Steve preached a series of sermons, and then a book came out of that about the church in a post-Constantinian world. Um, the, the church was born as a as a secular and persecuted um, uh, sect. And not until the emperor of the Roman Empire, Constantine, converted to Christianity, did Christianity become a worldwide force. And there's been a a lot of commentary over the years. Was it a good thing that Constantine converted to Christianity? It certainly spread Christianity around the world. But you also got the mix of religion and politics right there together, church and state. Um, Many people converted to Christianity at the force of the sword, you know, either convert or be killed by Constantine's troops. Um, and, and so there's been a lot of a lot of talk over the years about whether that was a good thing or not. And Steve Shoemaker in the, these series of sermons talked about the end of Constantinian religion. And as the as the culture becomes more secular, the church will be forced to become the church and to stand on its own. You know, I grew up in the 60s and the 70s, and everybody went to church. That was the only thing to do on Sunday. Everything else was closed. And um, so there's something kind of nice about that. But you also have to ask, well, if the only reason you're going to church is because there's nothing else to do, does that's not really a voice for a vote for, you know, the commitment, the conviction of the people there. And so as the culture becomes more secular, as our blue laws have dropped off and, you know, Things are open on Sunday and kids are playing soccer on Sunday and all of that. Well, if you're going to go to church, you're going to have to make a commitment to go to church. And so I think that the secularization of our culture will be a good thing for the church. Ultimately, um, wow. I think the church will look very different than it did. We, we are at the end of the dominance of Protestant, white Protestant Christianity in this in this mm-hmm. culture. And a lot of people are bemoaning that. And that's a lot about what the, the culture wars are that we're in the midst of fighting these days. Um, but as people are called to say, if I'm going to be Christian, it's kind of like Jews. If you want to be a Jew in this culture, you have to say, I'm going to make a commitment um, because people right. don't understand Judaism. It's a minority uh, um, e- expression. And if, if you're going to go to Sabbath worship on Friday night, that has an impact on Friday night high school football. And you got to make some decisions there. And so there's their decisions and commitments of faith that the Jewish community has to make that the Christian community has not had to make. Ultimately, I think that we are in a period that will change and that will strengthen the church, but the church will be smaller. It will have less influence. It will be very different in the coming decades than it has been in the last four or five decades, you know, 
So, so, so again, my, my ultimate, um, I am an optimist. Um, I believe that good religion is the remedy for bad religion and that as the church diminishes, we will have a chance to, to, to call people to step out for what is good and what is true. Um, and that, um, uh, maybe in the end, good religion wins, um, and that, that right. um, so that that will be that will be, be my hope. Well, Russ, uh, people probably don't realize this, but you're at a campground in the foothills of North Carolina mountains, um, sitting in a camper, I assume, with uh, some rain on the outside, doing this for us. And so, I appreciate you taking the time away yeah, to hey, uh, spend a few minutes with hey. us. Yeah, Amy and I have enjoyed uh, being at Emberglow Outdoor Resort um, up near Lake Lure, and we've worked uh, remotely this week. We we came for a couple of days to celebrate anniversary and realized, you know, I can get as much work done here as I can do at home. Let's just stay a few more days. So I've been working on sermons and uh, a couple of pieces I've been writing and um, having this podcast and having some small group connection group meetings over Zoom. So we're grateful to have a chance to be out in the woods. But uh, it's pretty rainy today, and I'm afraid I'm going to have to pack up in the rain and drag the camper home all soggy. Yeah, we live in a new world. We figure out new ways to work. And uh, if you can do your job from a campground, all the better, I would say. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Russ. It's always great to spend time with you. And uh, these conversations are certainly uh, enlightening and illuminating for me, and uh, I hope they are for other people. So thank you. Thanks for your questions, Bruce. Always enjoy the conversation. And of course, thank you to our listeners. We invite you to share this podcast with your friends and family. You can always find it at the Park Road website, which is parkroadbaptist.org, or you can listen and subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. That's all for this week. From all of us at Park Road Church, thank you for listening today. Grace and peace to you.